As we are in this sermon series, Kingdom Come, Lord, we just want to acknowledge, Lord, that you do reign over all creation. You alone are on the throne of life. And so this morning, God, as we come to this time where we have an opportunity to open the Word of God, the Scriptures, and to read, Lord, and to study together as a church family, I just pray that you would help us to see that you have the ultimate perspective. We confess that, that far too often we, we base our time and we base all of our life on our own perspective. We try to base it on what we think is right, what we think is best, Lord. But I just pray right now as we come to your word, Lord, that you would humble our hearts. That you would make our hearts soft, not hardened to you, but instead soft, ready for your word to come and to change us from the inside out. That, that you would change our hearts, that you'd change our thoughts and our motives. And in doing so, you'd change our lives, God, so that we could be a great witness in the city of San Francisco and to the world. We thank you for giving us your word. We thank you for this time. Lord, I pray that you would teach us and then give us the strength to respond. It's in the name of Jesus we pray together. Amen. You may be seated. As you find your seat, if you would, go ahead and find a Bible. If you brought one, great. If not, grab one of them in the pew. Turn with me to the book of Ephesians. We're going to be in chapter 5, reading verses 15 through 21. So Ephesians chapter 5, 15 through 21. For those of you that may be new, Ephesians is in the New Testament, so toward the right side of the Bible. If you just keep going, it's in between two other books, Galatians and Philippians. It was written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Ephesus. Now today we are continuing our sermon series uh, that we're going to be in for a few weeks called Kingdom Come. And really the the purpose of this study is for us to look at the practical implications of a verse that Mike introduced to us last week where Jesus and Matthew said these words. He said, seek first the kingdom of God. What does it mean to seek first the kingdom of God? At a very, very broad level, it means that if we are disciples of Jesus, that we are to put his kingdom, his glory, his fame as the ultimate focus of our life, not our glory, our kingdom, and our fame. But what does this look like in daily life? What does it mean that, that people should be able to look at us and see that Jesus is reigning in every aspect, whether that's our life at work, whether that's in how we treat people, what we choose to participate in or we choose not to participate in, how we serve one another, what we do with our money, all of these different areas. What does it look like to put the kingdom of God first? Today, we are going to talk specifically about time. What does it mean for a person to be kingdom focused with their time? I think we get a great picture of that in Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 15. So if you would read it with me, if not, it'll be on the screen. This is the word of God. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. 
Now, there are many things that we could talk about in this passage, and we're going to do our best to get as far as we can here. But the first implication of this text is very clear that Paul tells us is this. We are to look carefully at how we spend our time. Look carefully at how you spend your time. When is the last time you actually stopped at maybe the end of the week or the beginning of the next week and you looked back and said, how actually did I use my time in this last week? Or at the end of a year, maybe you looked back and said, how did I actually use my time at the end of this year? Paul tells Christians at Ephesus to take a detailed examination of their life to find out, is my use of time wise or is it unwise? Which in essence means this, is my time focused on building my kingdom or is my time focused on building God's kingdom, of being part of his kingdom? You see, time, I think we would all acknowledge, is one of the most important commodities at our disposal, right? Because the reality is when time is gone, it's gone forever. It doesn't matter who you are in this room. It's different than every other resource, like maybe uh, education or wealth. All those things, we have different amounts. But with time, each one of us in this room have the same amount. Wealthy people cannot buy more time. Scientists cannot invent more time. Every single one of us in this room on a daily basis have 86,400 seconds at our disposal. If by God's grace you're given another year to live, that number expands to 31,536,000 seconds all ready to be spent wisely or unwisely. You see, the Bible makes a lot about time. It talks about the life as a vapor. It talks about using your time wisely and doing it for kingdom purposes. Why? Because the Bible knows that how you use your time is a key indicator of what is truly most important to you. Have you thought about that? We talk about that sometimes with money, how what we spend our money on shows our values. But I would say in the same way, your calendar, your planning uh, planner, whatever it is, that reveals what is most valuable to you. Uh, recently, I'm in a doctoral program right now, and I was given an assignment where I had to put this passage literally into direct practice. As part of this whole thing, I had to keep a log every night of what I did with every 15-minute time slot in my day for that day, okay? So every 15 minutes, I had to give an account. What did I do in that 15-minute period at the end of every day? And I had to do this for three months. It's brutal. I'm just telling you, it was one of the most monotonous assignments I've ever had in my life. It was horrible in many ways. I hated it in many ways. But at the end of it, you want to know something? It was revealing. Because as I looked back at my days and I looked back at some weeks, it revealed on those days that I put tasks as more important than people. It revealed those days where I relied on my own strength and my own wisdom and my own agenda more than what God had called me to do. By the grace of God, I was thankful to see that some of the things that I said I valued were exhibited in what I did with my time. But there were also many areas where I had to repent. Because I said I valued it, but then I looked at my calendar and it revealed, Ryan, this isn't really a value to you. He says, take a careful examination of your time. I'll tell you something else that that study did, that examination. It showed me how easy it is for us to waste our lives. Especially when it comes to social media. Let's just be honest. This is becoming a little bit of an issue. You think, well, just five minutes here, five minutes there, Instagram a little bit, or Facebook or Twitter. It doesn't really add up. 
Well, there's a recent study that just came out that revealed that uh, as they studied people, the average person today, no matter what age, the average person, when you add up all those little looking at Twitter or looking at Instagram, spends over two hours a day on social media. Two hours a day. You put that into a normal lifespan, and what if you continue that, what that means is you will spend over five and a half years of your life looking at what Uncle Johnny ate for breakfast the other morning, right? <laughs> five and a half years. Have you ever stopped and thought, is my use of time wise? That article went on to give you other things that you could do in your lifetime if you spent the same amount of time you spent on social media in that lifetime. Let me just give you a few of the suggestions that they made. We're going to see them on the screen. One, you could walk the Great Wall of China more than three times. That's a long wall, okay? Three times. You could climb Mount Everest in that amount of time 32 times. You could run over 10,000 marathons in that amount of time. And although they didn't suggest it, I would suggest this one. You could listen to every sermon I have ever preached 265 times each in that amount of time. Now, I'm joking. I don't expect any of you to to go and do that. But my point is this. Have you actually stopped to think, is my use of time wise? If I examine my days, if I examine my weeks, if I examine my months... Does my calendar represent putting the kingdom of God first? Or does it represent me putting my own kingdom first? Paul says, take a careful examination of how you walk, of how you live. Is it wise? He pushes this a bit further, though, in verse 16. Because he says, not only are we to to make make sure that we look at our time, but he says this in verse 16, making the best use of the time because... The days are evil. Paul says not only should we examine our time, but in moving forward, we need to be intentional with our time. Be intentional with it. When Paul talks about this, what he's saying is if you are not intentional with your time, you are going to waste your life. You're not going to be used for kingdom purposes. You're not going to make an eternal impact. Why? He says very clearly, because the days are evil. When he uses that phrase, the days are evil, that word evil in essence means this, it's anti-God. What Paul is pointing us to is this reality that the rhythms and tempo of our world are very different than the agenda that God has for this world and the purposes that God has for this world. Our world has different desires, different values, different priorities. So what he's saying is if you just go along with the rhythm of the world, if you just put your life at the pace of the world and the tempo of the world and the priorities of the world, you will waste your life. When Paul says the days are evil, he's not suggesting that we as Christians need to be fearful of these days. He's also not saying that we need to remove ourselves from, from all of these days. What he's saying is this, because the days are evil, you as my people need to go in and seize every opportunity to use it for my purposes instead of the opposite. What he's saying is is this life is a battle. And I think this is where many of us as Christians, we we lose focus, we get off course. Because I think many of you in this room think my time is neutral. If I just kind of go with the flow, if I just kind of go through my week without actually spending any time thinking about what I'm doing, it'll all turn out in the end. It'll all be okay. 
But what Paul says in this passage is the days are evil. What he's saying is time is not neutral. You as Christians, as you enter into every day, are in a battle. Let me give you this example. On June 6th, 1944, there were over 5,000 ships that carried 175,000 allied troops to the beaches of southern France in what was at the time the largest modern invasion in history. Of course, what we know now as D-Day. Some of the individuals that survived that invasion, afterward, they talked about the moments leading up to that moment where the, the, the gates came down and they left those boats. But they said the moments leading up to that, there were constant messages over the loudspeakers of those boats. Some of those messages were this. Number one, there was a message that said, fight to get your troops ashore. Fight to save your ships. And if you have any strength left, fight to save yourself. Over and over on the loudspeaker. Another message went like this. We shall die on the sands of France, but we will never turn back. Over and over as they're about to approach the beach, this is the message that they hear. Psalm 23 was played over and over. Though I go through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. These were the messages being displayed. Now I tell you this to say this. As the soldiers approached Normandy that day, they had no delusions that they were going to the beach for a leisurely vacation. They were not under that delusion. How foolish would it have been to show up with sunglasses and a beach towel to the beaches of Normandy that day? No. These soldiers knew they were going into a battle. They knew that the moment they got off that boat, there was an enemy out to destroy them. And so they stepped into that accordingly. What Paul is saying in this passage is that if we are not intentional about our time, we will be taken over because we don't realize these days are evil. We as God's people are in a battle. Every day you wake up, if you just kind of go through your day, you're not going to grow closer to God. You're not going to just get caught up in his kingdom work. What Paul is saying, you have to seize every opportunity. Be intentional about growing in your relationship with God and about being part of his kingdom work. Let me let you in on a little secret as one of your pastors. There are many, many days where I don't feel like seeking God. Can I just be honest with you? There are many mornings. My alarm goes off around 5, 5.30 most mornings. There are many of those mornings that when my alarm clock goes off, my first thought is I cannot wait to take the next 30 minutes to an hour of my day to read God's word and to study it and to apply it. No, my head does the same thing your head does. I've got a thousand things to do today. I need to take care of this for the kids. I need to send back an email. I need to call that person. I need to work out. I've got all these other things. Here's one of my favorites. I need to sleep 30 more minutes so that I'll have the energy to make it through this day and do all the things I need to do. That's what my mind goes to. You see, the course of this world, he says, the days are evil. You're not naturally going to drift closer and closer to God. You're not going to naturally drift closer and closer to being used for his kingdom purposes. And that's why Paul says, if you are going to grow in your relationship with Christ, you have to be intentional. You have to set it as the priority of your life. If you want to know God, if you want to get into the scriptures, if you want to grow in your knowledge of what he actually wants you to do in life, you're going to have to sit, set aside more than five minutes in a morning. 
you're going to need to get in, if you're going to want to grow in your relationship with Christ where your prayer life is growing, you're going to need to set aside more than five minutes at night. What we prioritize, we will do. Stephen Covey, I don't believe he's a believer, but he wrote a book called First Things First, a great book. He says this, if you don't plan your time, someone or something else will. If you don't plan your time for kingdom purposes, for growing in your relationship with Christ, someone else is going to take over that time. For those of you that are stay-at-home parents, you need to know that if you don't prioritize your relationship with God, those kids are going to take up that time. For those of you who are students, maybe junior high, high school, college, graduate school, if you don't prioritize that relationship with God, I can tell you your studies and your social life and social media is going to quickly take up all of that time. For those of you in the workplace, if you don't prioritize your relationship with God, your meetings and your agendas, your work programs, all these things are going to take up that time. We have to be intentional about growing with Christ. If not, we are going to neglect what matters most. You say, Ryan, what matters most? What does that look like? Well, Paul moves us into two key priorities. If you start looking at verse 17, he says, the main priority of the Christian life should be this, understand the Lord's will. Understand the Lord's will. Look at verse 17. After he said, make use of every moment because the days are evil, he says, therefore do not be foolish, but what? But understand what the will of the Lord is. What is the will of the Lord? Like we ask that question every once in a while, right? We say, God, what is your will for this? What is your will for that? But I think oftentimes, if we're honest, we miss the point of what Paul's talking about here. In our modern context, we equate the Lord's will with a need for personal guidance. Or we equate the Lord's will with God's immediate plan for our future. So we ask God, God, is it your will that I date this person? God, is it your will that I take this job after college? God, Is it your will that I do this or I do that? If I move here, I move there. Now, hear me. Those aren't bad questions to ask, okay? I'm not saying that. But in the New Testament, you need to understand that God's will has a completely different focus. In the New Testament, no matter where you look, when you find the will of God, what the will of God is, is that it is completely identified with God's gracious saving plan for humanity. God's will is that men and women would be brought from the kingdom of darkness and death to the kingdom of life and light through the work of Jesus Christ. That is God's will. You want to understand God's will? That's where it begins. And then he forms those individuals who have been brought into his kingdom one step closer and closer and closer to becoming like him so that at the very end, in the final days, we stand pure and blameless with him for eternity. That is God's will to bring people into his kingdom, to grow them, and to make them more like him. And so do you see how we miss it when we just say, God, what's your will for this? Without considering the broader context of what God's will is for all of us. If you go to work and you say, ah, God, what's, my, what's your will for my work? But you never consider how God may want to use what you do in your work to bring people from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of life. And once they're there to be closer and closer to him, you're going to miss the will of God for your work. The same is true in relationships. If you say, God, what is your will that I'm going to date this person without, while at the same time you ignore everything he said in his word, you're going to miss God's will. 
So here's what I would suggest to you this morning. The number one of the priority of the Christian life should simply be this, and it's not rocket science, okay? It should be spending time with Christ. Your number one priority when it comes to your daily schedule, if you don't do anything else, what you need is to spend time with God. Meditating on his word. Not just reading his word. I know a lot of Christians that have head knowledge, but have never actually digested his word so that it is lived out in their lives. Meditating on his word. Praying, spending time pouring out your heart. Asking God, what are the things that you're doing to bring people from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of life? And what do you want me to do in that? This is the will of God. This is the starting point. I'm afraid far too many of us make excuses. We blame our kids. We blame our schedules. We blame our need for sleep. But could it be that we simply treasure other things more than we treasure Jesus? Paul says the way of this world is evil. If you're not intentional about setting Christ as the supreme Lord of your life on a daily basis, isn't it just a one-time thing? But on a daily basis, you're going to go the way of the world. I realize that this is a process for all of us. None of us lived this out perfectly. I will tell you this, in studying for this sermon, there are many times where God called me to repent of my own action, of my own heart. But my prayer is that God would show us more and more of what his will is and that we would live that out as a church. I want you to hear from one of our church members. You hear a lot from me and from the other pastors. I want you to hear from one of our church members about how they've wrestled through this. What does it look like to use their time for kingdom purposes? Love for you to hear. So Philip Davis, if you'd go ahead and come forward. I've asked Philip just to share a testimony of what God's been doing in his own heart in this area. Hello, everyone. Um, I'd like to share a few things that God's been teaching me and I've been thinking about. Psalm chapter 90, verse 12 says, Teach us to number our days that we might gain a heart of wisdom. Teach us to number our days that we might gain a heart of wisdom. And I was reading that and I was just thinking about what's the connection between understanding the brevity and the shortness of my life and becoming a wiser person. And I had two insights that I would, thought I'd share with you. The first of which is that I need to be seeking the kingdom of God now. C.S. Lewis has a really interesting quote where he says, there are always plenty of rivals to our work. We're always falling in love or quarreling, looking for jobs or fearing to lose them getting ill, and recovering. If we let ourselves, we shall always be waiting for some distraction to end before we can really get down to our work. Favorable conditions never come. As Ryan was speaking, I was thinking about my own lame excuses. I do have lame excuses. Um, But there are also legitimate things that go on in your life that just cause you to be very busy. The reality is right now in my life, I have good health, and I have more time than I probably will in the future. Um, I also have resources, uh, and so I need to be intentional about the way I'm spending my time, and and there are two things that I'm doing right now to seek God's kingdom. The first is that I'm trying to prioritize evangelism and discipleship in my life. This, for me, is the core of what 
I'm here on earth to do. And so there are so many opportunities to do this. Um, there are, this Thursday, actually, I was able to go to an international students uh, meetup. And I got to meet so many people. And it was so exciting. There were so many people willing to make, uh, to pursue friendship and relationships. So that's something that I'm trying to prioritize uh, along that with evangelism. And then also, um, the other thing I'm trying to prioritize right now in my life is taking the workplace skills that I have and applying them to serve other people. So one of the ways I'm doing that is with a nonprofit called Basil. And with Basil, what we do is we work with other nonprofits to help them solve technical and creative needs that they have. And recently, we've been able to work with the IMB, and so that's been really exciting. Um, so there, I understand that we're busy, and I understand that plans are a good thing. We're planning for the future, and there's always opportunities to do things in the future. But let's not let that stop us right now from seeking God's kingdom, because we don't know how much time we've got. Our days are numbered, but we don't necessarily know what that number is. The second thing that I drew from that insight of, okay, my, my time is short, and understanding that's going to make me a wiser person is that um, I'm actually free. Once I, once I know that my life is short, how it's just a vapor, it's just a mist, I'm actually free to take risks. And uh, I just want to qualify this by saying that I haven't taken too many significant risks in my life yet. Um, I haven't made any tremendous sacrifices, but it's really encouraging to me to know that I can. And uh, I'll share one thing. Um, five years ago, I went to China, and I got to spend time with a missionary there, and he challenged me. He said, Philip, I think you should try to serve overseas. Um, and I, to this day, don't know if that's what I'm called to do, but I do know that God hasn't let it off my heart. So George and I next year are going to test this, and we're going to uh, move to Taiwan. And um, while we were really uncertain about a lot of aspects of this trip, uh, we're, we're really excited about it. Um, and the uncertainty, one of the side benefits of uncertainty and taking risks for God and pushing yourself and being stretched is that it forces you to depend on God in, in, in new ways, in creative ways. Um, for me, it's, it's forced me to wake up earlier. It's interesting that he mentioned waking up at 5 o'clock. I, I, I normally wake up about 30 minutes before I have to go to work. And what this is, what this, you know, taking a risk has uh, done for me is that it's forced me to, to wake up earlier. So I have, I'm trying to wake up two hours earlier now, and that gives me enough space, enough margin in my day so that I can actually sit alone and hear from God. I'm not just rushed from one thing to the next thing. I have the space, the margin. I have a luxurious amount of time to spend with Jesus. And I think that that is what my encouragement for you would be, is when you're thinking about your relationship with God, the more you press into him, the more you get to know him, the more your desires are going to align with his desires. Seeking, this, seeking a ki- God's kingdom can be such a vague thing, but when you're actually spending time with God, your desires will align with his, and you're going to seek his kingdom, which is lasting and amazing. And you're going to spend less time seeking your own kingdom, which is puny and uh, numbered and very insignificant. That is all I have to share. Thank you for listening. Thank you, Philip. So it's going to look different for each one. You know, God has, is leading Philip and Georgia in that direction. He's given them giftings and technology, and they're being able to use for that. Each one of us are going to be different in that. But the same thing is going to be the foundation, and that is that time with Christ. 
The more that you know him, the more that you're going to understand his will. The more that you know the word of God, you're going to understand his will for your life. The result then is going to be this last thing that we see in this passage, that we're going to go out and live a spirit-filled life. Look at verse 18. It says, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, that's an interesting verse because it seems to come out of nowhere, doesn't it? I mean, why would Paul all of a sudden bring up drinking? Is it that the church at Ephesus had a major drinking issue? We don't see that anywhere else in the book of Ephesus, so I don't think so. I tend to look at it like this. When someone is drunk with alcohol, they no longer control themselves, right? They're out of control. They've opened their life over and over to alcohol in such a way that that alcohol controls them. They aren't even able to walk in a straight line. All of a sudden, their behavior and their speech changes because they are no longer in control. And so I think what Paul is saying is he's giving this picture to help us to understand the other side of this. He's saying, don't do that, but instead, open your life to the Spirit. Open your life to the Holy Spirit where every single day you're going into your day and your actions and your words and your speech, they reflect not your kingdom, but they reflect the kingdom of Jesus. It all goes together. When you understand the Lord's will, when you know him, all of a sudden you're empowered to live differently. And that's what we see in this text. He's saying, don't get drunk with wine. That leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the spirit and it leads to an entirely different kind of use of your time. Look at verse 19. What does a person filled with the Spirit look like? It says this, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So here's my question for you. Does your schedule, does your days, as you look back on this last week, does it look anything like the picture of the Spirit-filled life? What do you see in that? You see speaking to one another. When you're filled with the Spirit, you can't help but but speak to others for their spiritual encouragement, their, their mutual edification. There are so many opportunities for you to do this in this church. The question is, have you opened your life to relationship with others? Does the word of Christ dwell in you so richly that you can't help but speak that to the people around you? Do you very often invite somebody over for lunch after the service to talk about what God was teaching you in the sermon? Do you attend a community group where you're able to share what God's teaching you in your life? Are you part of any Bible studies where you're studying with somebody else? Speaking the word of God is something going to be part of your life. The other thing he says is singing. Singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Are you a person that worships? Here's the thing. Your amount of worship will reveal the spiritual condition of your heart. It's absolutely true. If your salvation is only a doctrine that you understand intellectually, you won't sing. That's not beautiful. That's not something to sing about. But if you have a relationship with Jesus where you are astonished and you see the beauty and the amazing joy of what God has accomplished for you in Christ Jesus, you can't help but sing. He says a spirit-filled person is going to be a person that is worshiping, that is singing. And that happens both here with the congregation, but it also happens personally by your, while you're by yourself. He also says that a person is going to be a thanking person. Verse 20 giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. See, the more you're filled with the Spirit, the less room there is for cynicism, 
or dissatisfaction or complaining or ingratitude. We have much to be thankful for in Christ. Last but not least, he says submitting, verse 21. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. You see, this verse is just one example of, uh, seriously, a numerous amounts of these one another commandments in the New Testament as it relates to how we interact with one another. There's, there are over 35 of them. We are to love one another. We are to bear with one another. We are to weep with one another. We are to forgive one another. We're to offer ha- hospitality to one another. We're supposed to rejoice with one another, and we are to submit to one another. This picture of submitting to one another is saying, you know what? I'm going to put my agenda, my things on the back burner so that I can do these one another's for you. The question is, as you look at your schedules, does your life include these things? Are there moments where you have intentional times where you are thankful, that you're thanking God, where you're thanking the other people that have influenced your life, where you're singing, where you're speaking what God's done, where you're submitting your life to other people? Church family, we are not guaranteed tomorrow. As Phil Phillips said, life is a vapor, which makes what we do with our time so radically important. If we don't ever assess it, if we're not intentional with it, what does he say? The days are evil. You're going to look back at the end of your life and it's going to be a wasted life. But it can be different. Understand what the will of the Lord is. Be filled with the Spirit. Allow your schedule to be lived out with his agenda, with his will. I'm afraid far too many of us in the church have schedules completely consumed with building our tiny kingdoms. And then we wonder, why is the presence of God absent? Why does he seem so distant? We've never prioritized him. This is both important and it is urgent. My prayer for you this week is that you would simply just take some kind of action. I can't make you take action. The Holy Spirit has to do that in your heart. But I would hope that at the very least today or sometime this week, you would assess your use of time. You don't have to look at every 15-minute block. If you want to, I'm telling you, it's good. It's helpful. But at least assess, what are you using your time for? Are they all focused on you? Or even in your workplace, when you have those meetings, when you have all these things that are legitimate things, family needs, are you keeping a kingdom focus? Are you allowing the Spirit to give direction and power to do what you can't do? May we be a church that understands the Lord's will and lives out His presence. Let's pray together.